and you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Topical cream, a pod listener's dream, unfucking the news and current events. Topical cream, yeah, you know what I mean. A quarter of an hour gets you our two cents. Topical cream. I'm going to play two clips for you. Then we need to talk. The first is right-wing rebel Matt Gates's closing argument during the vote to oust House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. And when it comes to how those raise money, I take no lecture on asking patriotic Americans to weigh in and contribute to this fight from those who would grovel and bend knee for the lobbyists and special interests who own our leadership, who have Oh, boo all you want, who have hollowed out this town and have borrowed against the future of our future generations. I'll be happy to fund my political operation through the work of hardworking Americans, 10 and 20 and $30 at a time. And you all keep showing up at the lobbyist fundraisers and see how that goes for you. I reserve. And this one is Steve Bannon on the Bannon's War Room podcast talking about Gates. And this was really firing the, uh, the uh, Republican wing of the uniparty today they're coming back hard in fact in a few minutes the conference is going to meet and there's already a big clamor for matt gates to be thrown out of the clan for the 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 heroic heroic walking the, in to the pit of the uh of the house and really taking them all on he had bigs and he had good and that was fine but it was matt gates versus the establishment. It was Matt Gates versus the swamp. It was Matt Gates taking on all comers. And it was no comparison. The news channels, the pundit class, internet comment sections, pretty much everyone is trying to figure out the far right wing's endgame in the House of Representatives. But I think we're looking in the wrong place. This is just the most recent capstone in the chaos theory under which the modern GOP is operating. And Democrats are smugly standing by while Republicans stand in a circular firing squad. But they, too, are missing the larger picture. This is just the latest escapade in a journey that began 30 years ago, at least as far as the House of Representatives is concerned. But it's part of a larger story that begins with the hostile takeover of our democracy in the mid-1970s. And we've covered the names before. Names that precious few recognize but unfuckers know all too well. Friedrich Hayek, Michael Horowitz, Gary Becker, Ronald Coase, Aaron Director, Milton Friedman, James Buchanan, Charles Koch, David Koch, Lewis Powell, Richard Fink, Richard DeVos, Joseph Kors, and so many more. Masters of the universe hell-bent on the destruction of democracy. Founders of organizations like the American Legislative Exchange Council, or ALEC, the Cato Institute, Heritage Foundation, Mercatus Center, and the Mont Pelerin Society. The founding fathers of libertarian misery who birthed a movement that gave us Leonard Leo, Donald Trump, Steve Bannon, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and yes, Matt Gates. This list is notable for the vast number of omissions, but it shows you how much work we've done trying to understand how the fuck we got here. And because of this work, I know that unfuckers are no longer perplexed. And I'm sure we share a similar experience, by the way. 
the number of times that you've been in a conversation with a liberal Democrat who's still in disbelief over how craven Republicans are. Oh my God, how did we get here? Now, I don't blame them. I just wish they'd come along for the ride because once you see the breadth of it, the impressive level of coordination and grit that they've demonstrated for 50 plus years, it's no longer really surprising, right? Especially after the Trump years. Anyway, I want to talk about the historic ouster in the House that we just witnessed by looking at the middle section of the 50-year journey. And then I want to talk through something that honestly is making me really, really nervous. Let me guess, before you get there, we got to sit through a whole ass history lesson. And let me also guess that it's going to be brief. As a matter of fact, yes and yes. The middle section of the half-century free market libertarian war on democracy is a time that we've covered rather extensively, so I do believe it will be brief. Thank you very much. The reason it matters, though, and why we have to touch on it again is because we can draw a straight line from the 1990s to McCarthy's unceremonious departure. Cue solemn history background music and... When Newt Gingrich took over as Speaker of the House in 1995, it was a huge moment that we barely appreciate these days. The last time the GOP held the House gavel prior to Gingrich was 1953 to 1955. They held it briefly from 47 to 49 as well, which was the first time since 1931. The House was democratic for most of the modern political era until Gingrich took over. And he set about changing the nature of not just Congress, but of the American people. He did so by entering into what he called a contract with America, a living, breathing GOP manifesto that aimed to shrink the size of government and restore conservative principles in the country. There were 10 promises the GOP took. UNFTR list music is coming up. There were 10 promises the GOP took as commandments. A balanced budget amendment. Increasing instances of the death penalty and more funding for the prison industrial complex and police. Prohibiting welfare to young mothers to discourage welfare. Broad-based cuts to all welfare programs and implementation of work requirements. Enforcing child support, incentivizing adoption, parental rights and education. $500 per child tax credits and individual savings accounts for home buying, education and retirement. Strengthening the military and creating a missile defense system. Capital gains tax cut, unfunded mandate reforms. Limits on punitive damages and, quote, loser pays provisions to prevent frivolous lawsuits. Congressional term limits. And we're back to the history lesson. The center of domestic political power had moved from the White House to Newt's house. The ruthless romantic had reached his moment with the chance to change America. In a remarkable display of discipline and purpose, Gingrich's house passed all but one of the contract's 10 commandments in its first 100 days. More importantly, the fundamental debate had shifted to Newt's agenda. Suddenly, the question was not whether to balance the budget and shrink the government, but when and how. The fulcrum of power had shifted, but so had the harsh glare of the spotlight, exposing the speaker's flaws and his excesses. In our series on the Clinton years, we detailed how most of what the Gingrich House put forward was ultimately put into effect. Clinton's cynical strategy, something his advisors termed triangulation, was to get ahead of as much of it as possible and make it part of the Democratic agenda. And so that's what we got, 
a Clinton legacy largely authored by Newt Gingrich. That's a policy story that we've also covered. What I want to dig into is the culture shift that Gingrich introduced into the House because that's what remains long after his manifesto. Gingrich was perhaps one of the greatest political operatives who ever held the gavel. Ultimately, his corrupt ways and tawdry personal life led to his unraveling in the role, but the effect that he had on the body far outlasted his tenure as Speaker. Newt Gingrich is extremely intelligent and perniciously clever. His contract with America was a way of galvanizing the conservative base of the country and of painting the GOP into a corner from which they have yet to escape. But along with his contract was a pledge, an actual pledge called the Taxpayer Protection Pledge, written by Contract with America co-author and shitbag Grover Norquist. The Contract with America was a contract with the American people, whereas the Taxpayer Protection Pledge was strictly among Republicans. Essentially, any Republican desirous of the GOP endorsement would have to sign Norquist's pledge to never raise taxes. Ever. It's something that Norquist developed under Reagan, though curiously, it wasn't enforced when Reagan raised taxes multiple times during his term. Do as I say. Not as I do. Exactly. The modern GOP is still standing behind the principles of Newt's contract and adhering to some fake pledge rather than the Constitution. It's that simple. All of the evil plans drawn up by the libertarian fuck nuggets we listed above only came to fruition because Gingrich showed how to hold the government hostage. And every time he did so, the GOP lurched further and further to the right with each subsequent Congress trying to outdo the one before. Each one chipping away at civility and democratic processes. And Democrats blindly following along, thinking that eventually it'll catch up with Republicans. Surely the American people will tire of these shenanigans. Well, this philosophy has delivered us into the lesser evil era. Now, what's ironic, or maybe just funny, is how each successive GOP leader is ultimately destroyed by their own. Gingrich was ousted by his own. His replacement, Dennis Hastert, a stern and reliable man who sought to restore some integrity to the speaker position, was later arrested on child pornography charges. Next up was John Boehner, a Newt protege who was undone by the next iteration of GOP fuckheads, namely Paul Ryan. Surely fiscal conservative and doe-eyed fitness freak Ryan would weather the storm? And alas, no. By then, norms had flown out the window, and Ryan was quickly humiliated and neutered by Donald J. Trump. And now we have Kevin McCarthy. McCarthy, who was part of the trio of douche nozzles who called themselves the Young Guns, which included Ryan and Eric Cantor. And now McCarthy has been taken out by the next nozzle in line, the most revolting insurgent yet, Matt Gates. Except Gates seems to have little interest in taking the gavel for himself. And that's why so many pundits are tying themselves in knots, trying to figure out his endgame. I, I assume that that brings us to the scary part? It does indeed. You reap what you sow. Newt was ambitious. The House Speaker is third in line for the presidency. But Newt made no bones about it. Third is for losers. And he wanted to be president. So he lobbed a bomb into the House chamber and destroyed any pretense of compromise. The House had been overthrown by demagogues, and that's what we've gotten ever since. Matt Gates is Frankenstein's monster, 
a convenient vessel of despair and cynicism with a pompadour and a tie. But he doesn't want to be the president. He's angling for something else. The mistake is in thinking he's stupid. I'm so freaked out by this guy, I don't even want to do the butthead imitation. I was wondering. I've been watching him more closely in recent months. It's only when he's up against someone as skilled as Jamie Raskin that Gates finds himself on the defensive. But I've watched the way he channels populist talking points and rage into legal arguments to take powerful figures to task. He's unapologetic, pugnacious, and sharp-tongued. He doesn't stumble, doesn't mince words. And if you're merely a casual observer, you might even appreciate some of his takes. Here he is grilling General Mark Milley over the withdrawal from Afghanistan. You spent more time with Bob Woodward on this book than you spent analyzing the very likely prospect that the Afghanistan government was going to fall immediately to the Taliban, didn't you? Not even close, Congressman. Oh, really? Because you said right after Kabul fell that no one could have anticipated the immediate fall of the Ghani government. When did you become aware that Joe Biden tried to get Ghani to lie about the conditions in Afghanistan? He did that in July. Did you know that right away? I'm not aware of what President Biden You're not aware of the phone call that Biden had with Ghani where he said, whether it is true or not, we want you to go out there and paint a rosy picture of what's going on in Afghanistan. You're the chief military advisor to the president. You said that the Taliban was not going to defeat the government of Afghanistan militarily, which by the way, they cut through him like a hot knife through butter. And then the president tries to get Ghani to lie. When did you become aware of that attempt? Confronting FBI director Christopher Wray. People need to understand what just happened. My, col- my Democrat colleague just asked the director of the FBI whether or not they are buying information about our fellow Americans. And the answer is, well, we'll just have to get back to you on that. Sounds really complicated. But I have other questions. I'm sitting here with my father. I will make certain that between the man sitting next to me and every person he knows and my ability to forever hold a grudge, that you will regret not following my direction. I am sitting here waiting for the call with my father. Sounds like a shakedown, doesn't it, Director? I'm not going to get into commenting on that. You you seem deeply uncurious about it, don't you? Almost suspiciously uncurious. Are you protecting the Bidens? Absolutely not. The FBI well, does not answer the has que- no hold interest on. in You won't answer the question about whether or not that's a shakedown, and everybody knows why you won't answer it. Because to, ev- to the millions of people who will see this, they know it is. Fighting over retiring Ukraine's debt. My amendment makes a $4.5 billion cut. $3.5 billion of that stops us from retiring global debt for Ukraine. Now, I don't think it's an unrealistic position to say that the United States of America should not deficit spend to retire the debt of other countries. Think about that. We are borrowing money from China to go settle the debts of Ukraine that they accrued far before this war with Russia. In areas of the internet that you and I don't travel, on broadcasts that we don't watch, and in circles that we don't run in, Gates is going from buffoon to hero because there's literally no structure of power he won't quarrel with. Forget who he is and which side of the aisle he's on. He's calling out the military and the FBI. That's traditionally the purview of leftists, but ever since Donald Trump opened the door and questioned the authority of the very levers that he himself controlled, the lunatic fringe has come rushing in behind him. What scares me is his lack of transparent ambition. 
He seems to be happy in the role of Lucifer's attack dog, so much so that I'm beginning to think that the chaos that he's sowing isn't a tactic. I think chaos is the end game. My proof is to look no further than his cozy alignment with Steve Bannon. Just like the cadre of evil libertarians have been years ahead of the left in building organizations, propaganda campaigns, and operations to steal power and promote disinformation, Steve Bannon is years ahead of the left and the right in finding ways to tear the whole system down. He almost did it once. Do you really think he stopped trying? I mean, this guy was inside the White House. He fucking made it. He got to see the machine from the inside. It's like having the blueprint to the Death Star. No, I think there's there's something else going on here. Election deniers in key government positions. Precinct captains and poll watchers enlisted by Bannon's war room. RFK Jr. is likely switching his affiliation to independent, leaving faith healer Marianne Williamson as the only opposition within the Democratic Party, and barely. Cornell West virtually shut out of the conversation. Biden decaying before our very eyes. No Labels is contemplating a spoiler role with Joe Manchin making a third-party run. And Republican infighting bringing this legislative session to a grinding halt just weeks before another government-funding confrontation. And now Democrats and progressives are just blithely taking it all in, thinking somehow Republican voters are going to blame Republicans for chaos on the House floor or even a government shutdown. But that's just not how it works. So what are you saying? Where is this all headed? So it is hard to say, and that's part of what's so unsettling. But think back to the conclusion of our socialism series when we talked about revolutionary conditions. A whole host of things have to be going wrong at once to create the conditions for revolution. But it does require a catalyzing event to bring it forth and a revolutionary core ready and willing to seize power. Now remember also that capitalism has a way of coming to the rescue to avert a crisis that would imperil its ability to run the world. To wit, we have the establishment Democrats and moderate Republicans betting on capitalism with a series of spending bills designed to prop up the corporate class through what might otherwise be a turbulent time. Republicans are hoping the money doesn't impact the real economy in time for the next election, and Democrats are hoping Biden's bottom-up and middle-out strategy takes hold just in time. Frustrating this process by holding the government hostage pushes all of these investments back. But if you're Steve Bannon, you know that economic cataclysm isn't enough to tear down the establishment. It probably just favors establishment Republicans who will try to paint a downturn as Biden's fault. No, see, Bannon needs more than that. Thus, the election interference plan. So combine this with a strategy to bring the House of Representatives to a halt and one could imagine a GOP falling in line behind an even more radical agenda that frustrates the economic spending that the country will so desperately need, leaving the Senate as the only thing that stands between Republicans and an attempt to unravel everything that Biden accomplished in his first term. An economic downturn, combined with wholesale election failures, will give credence to their false claims that there was election fraud in the past, and it will be mayhem. Are those revolutionary conditions? The country would turn to a complete circus, with Republicans running around in the three rings and Democrats taking tickets at the door and failing to understand what's really going on. And so, when that's all breaking loose, who do you look for to take control of a circus? The ringleader. A one Donald J. Trump. Precisely. 
Matt Gates isn't trying to steal the House. He's trying to steal the presidency. Again.